0: Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. Uh, so you want to hear some news from our, from our work at Penn State. I'll, start with, I'll do a story for you. And this is an important story. Uh, about uh, three months ago, uh, my my wife had gone to see our son, who now lives in Charleston, South Carolina. And she um, she said, I'll, I'll give you the week to do anything you want to. So I was going to look at movies my life doesn't like to look at, you know, do all the things guys do when the wives are gone. So um, I, it was Friday night, I'd chosen the movie I wanted to look at, and I got a phone call, and it was from the president of the Iranian Association at Penn State, who is a friend of mine. And he said, Richard, are you doing anything tonight? And I said, it depends. (laughs) And he said, well, I want you to come look at this documentary we're showing at the State Theater. The Iranian Association was sponsoring it. And I said, I said, is it tonight? He said, yes, it is. And I'm in an a quandary here. I, I work with international students. One is inviting me out to this documentary. Not what I wanted to do on a Friday night. Okay? But they pay, y'all give me money to do this kind of stuff. And so I figured I got to go out. So I went out to the movie. And it was a very sad documentary. It's about a Ukrainian airliner that had been shot down by the by the Iranian government several years ago and about a guy trying to get justice for his wife and little daughter that he lost in the, uh, uh, in the incident. And it was one of those movies, uh, one of those documentaries that you just know, I'm going to go home at the end of this because nobody's going to go out for anything after this very sad documentary. Well, I was wrong. Because right after it was over with, my friend Jonas walked up to me and said, Listen, Richard, some of the people and I have been talking, and we would like for you to go out with us, and you pick the place. And I was, I was sort of, What? And I said, Okay. So I picked a place to go. Uh, we went there. There were 12 of us. It was just me and, uh, well, 12 Iranians. And they're uh, mainly husbands and wives, and P- all PhD students. Just one guy was a, a postdoc. And we went to this place. It's a very nice little restaurant. And we started, uh, started eating and everything. And uh, I d- only knew two people there that night. And about, oh, I think a quarter through our meal, one of the gentlemen, who was a postdoc in physics, gets up, takes his chair comes to me at the end of the table, plots his chair down right beside me, and sits down and looks at me. He says, who are you and what do you? What are you doing here? And I looked at him. No, you don't get me direct that way, you know, from people. And so I, I began to explain who I was and what I was doing there at Penn State. And he started asking a lot of questions. And finally, in the middle of the of our conversation, he says, how do you know that God has called you here? And I leaned back in my chair and looked up, and there are 11 faces looking at me, listening to our conversation. And, then, and, and I kept going. He asked me about the gospel. I told him about the gospel. And I was just stunned as I sit there. And, at the, and about an hour later, I looked up again and realized we're the only people left in the restaurant. I'm almost 65 years old. It has been a long time since I shut down a restaurant. (laughs) And uh, I was, this this past week, I was at RUF training, and one of those couples called me and said, listen, can you and your wife on August 5th come to a party? We're going to have all those people at the restaurant and also a bunch of others, and we want to introduce them to you. That's how God works at Penn State. That's how God works everywhere. So pray for us August 5th at noon. My wife gets nervous about these things. She never knows what's going on, but I know what's going on. God's got something special for us. So I want you to turn to our scriptures this morning, uh, uh, this afternoon. Excuse me. I I preached already this morning. So um, uh, Psalm 96. And before I do read the scriptures, I want to thank you for your prayers and support. You know, we have been at Penn State now eight years. It felt like tomorrow. Yeah, you know, It feels like tomorrow that I, I arrived here, a southerner from the deep, deep, deep south and to the far north, a place that my mother, when I told her that we were coming, told me, you can't come, son. I forbid you. And She was 75 at the time, so... uh, I said, Mom, I can't listen to you. I got to listen to God. So, all right, let's turn and look at the scriptures tonight. 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Sing of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. For he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But But the Lord has made the heavens and earth. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, before the Lord comes, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth with, ju- with he will judge the earth in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take this word before us, that, we, that you would use it uh, for our heart, that you would give us your, your grace, Lord, and that you'll do heart surgery on us tonight. For us in Christ's name I pray, amen. I've been at Penn State two years and uh, one afternoon uh, we were having a picnic and we invited a bunch of students out to a, to a park there. There are lots of parks in State College. And we noticed these, these two internationals came, a, a woman and a man. And I walked up to them, introduced myself to them. And uh, one was from Argentina and one was from Israel. And we began to talk. And it turned out they were two conductors that had come there to get their master's in conducting. And, uh, you know, we talked a, lot, a little about what we do at, on our dinner and discussion nights where we feed people. And we, we have a spiritual discussion, a Bible study, an inductive, inductive Bible study on on a particular passage and they thought it was very interesting so the first time we had their discussion that semester they both came and they loved it they loved the food of course and they loved the lesson that we did that night and they said we're going to bring some people back with us next week and the next week they brought two more and the next week those four brought two more and the next week they brought two more and for the next uh six weeks, two more international musicians came to our study. And so I was elated. Uh, But I I was also worried because, guys, I don't know anything about classical music. I'm from the South, and I'm a hillbilly, you know. So just don't know a whole lot about that. And they invited us to uh, their first concert of the season, and a bunch of us, a bunch of my volunteers and I went and we got a little bulletin, just like your bulletin you received tonight, that on the back of it, it listed out the names of everybody what they played. They also listed out people in bold letters. And those letters are for the principals of each section of the orchestra. And as I was reading that, I began to realize something that every single principal in that audience went to RUFI. Every single one of them, including the concert master who was from Kazakhstan, a girl that played the violin. I was stunned. I want you to remember that illustration as we go through our scripture tonight, because I'm going to talk about declaring the good news to your world and this example of an orchestra sort of fits us. You know, God has called us to be part of his orchestra. All right, first of all, let's look at the first two verses here. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day. Today. You see, we're here and God has called us as God's symphony orchestra to sing and to praise and to declare the good news of the gospel to this world, to the whole world. You know, when do you sing? Uh, you know, when do you sing? Uh, do you sing when your heart is full, when your heart is overflowing, or do you sing when you're sad Sometimes. You sing all the time. Uh, I am am not much of a singer. In fact, in the last church I I, I was at for 15 years, the first Sunday I preached and I started singing the the hymn, uh, they cut me off the mic because they were afraid that uh, all the people that were listening over the radio would probably tune out. And so from then on, for 15 years, they never gave me a live mic during the music, never. And I I once joked with the congregation, I said, when I am ready to leave here, I'll sing a solo. And because I wasn't planning to leave for a long time, and I I was sort of hoping they would forget me saying that. And so when it came up that I was going to move up here, one of my elders said, are you going to do it? I said, do what? Sing a solo. In fact, the session demands you do it. I love our session. And so I, I, me and another guy who is our musician, uh, he, he plays the guitar. He came in and we practiced for three weeks. And, uh, and so I got up and sang a solo my last Sunday there. And I thought, oh, I'm so glad I'm finished with that. Unbeknownst to me, my dear daughter filmed it. And the next day, put it on my Facebook page. It took me a long time to get that thing off my Facebook page. But you know, we, we do this. We sing when we're joyful. When when important things happen, you sing every Sunday morning. We sang tonight. We sang. Heard a beautiful rendition of the of these hymns tonight. And uh, you know, this is God's. This book is God's songbook. It is filled with the emotions of His people, directed by the Holy Spirit. And God is calling us to sing this new song. And what is this new song? The new song is the song of God's salvation, the gospel, Jesus. Now I know, you know, we're back in the old Testament and you're saying, well, how is that as that is? Well, you're looking forward. You're looking forward to Jesus. You're looking for the salvation that God has called for his people. You see that God has given each one of us a new heart and we are a new creation. And we sing out because of that new position we have to the king of the universe. Do you realize that? When you sing, you're singing joy to the king. The king of the universe. And note, this is a song for the whole earth. It says here, sing to the Lord all the earth. It's for everyone. You know, I work with 142 different countries, about 9,000 international students. Um, If you would take the 1040 window, if you understand what that is in the world, it's the place where the most uh, un-evangelized people groups are, 5,000 of those people are at Penn State. And guess what? They come to me and come to our group. Not knowing that they're being reached for the gospel until it's almost too late. Because God's at work. You know, this is, this is a kind of thing that should not be hidden. Have you ever known anybody that refuses to sing? You know, I, I, in my churches I've had over the years, there's always two or three people. You're sitting there and you're singing these really joyful hymns and stuff like that, even at Christmas time. Now, who cannot sing Christmas hymns? They'll sit in there, you know, and they may jiggle out a little bit along with with the choir or something, but they just don't sing. How can you not sing? For this is a message that cannot be kept under wraps. This gospel message, it's for out there. Now, it's great we meet in worship. It's great that we meet in Bible studies. But guys, people out there die every day without Jesus. There are people on our our campus that we work with that come here and they say, I'm going to be here five years. I got five years to make a difference in their lives. Sometimes it's two that they're getting masters. So we cannot keep this under wraps. You are called to sing God's salvation to the world. This call was that the music of the good news resound from all parts of the world. You know, right now in the country of Iran, there is a low, uh, it's almost imperceivable, but there is a low Level revival going on in Iran right now. Uh, You know, I don't try to speak of it too much because I don't want to get people in trouble. But the young people in Iran, people they're 40 and older, they have no use for Islam. Right now on our campus, we have about 400 Iranians. I have met one as a practicing Muslim. One. And they're coming here and they're looking for answers. They know their answers is not at their government. They know their answer is not in Muhammad, and they're looking for it. And guess what? RUFI, Bridges, other groups, we're able to talk to them about the gospel like no other time, probably in history, have we seen so many Muslims in one country really open up to the gospel. I had the privilege of baptizing a, a Muslim my second year here. But recently another Muslim from, from Iran called me, and we were, we were talking on the phone. And I called him because of this. He, he got it, completed his PhD, uh, came uh, and went off and got offered a postdoc at Harvard. So this guy is sort of smart, OK? And he started texting me Bible verses. And uh, it made me a lot curious about that. So I called him and I said, I won't mention his name, but I said, um, we'll call him George. Hey, George, um, what's up about these Bible verses? He said, oh, I didn't tell you I'm going to a PCA church. He never went to ours. And I said, well, what else? He said, I think I'm a Christian now. And we talked for a while and I said, you sure sound like it. And uh, he's, he's, he's living for the gospel now. And, and, you know, so things are happening. So we, we have to see this music of the gospel resound from everywhere. And we have to make this, this music that we have, this gospel message, hot. And what do I mean by that? Um, uh, Francis Schaeffer uh, once talked about this in one of his talks. He said, "In today's world, we have what is called cold or cool communication." And you've you've probably seen this. If you watch watch commercials, uh, you'll see uh, uh, one of the old one of the old Cola commercials. You know, and you know they they start off with this choir singing, you know, about the world and I forget the song. this thank, thank God I'm not singing it. But So um, so they sing this song. And it has nothing to do with Coca-Cola. And then they, the Coca-Cola pops up and everybody's joining a Coca-Cola. All the choir is. That's, you know, in Cool Me Communication, you do everything you can to do something other than promote the product you're trying to promote in a hard way. But Schaeffer said, we don't need cool communication, we need hot communication. And that's where you take a subject and you tell people the nuts and bolts about it. Like car, you know, a car is just not a beautiful girl riding through the city. A car is something that has so many horsepowers. It has, it has so much mileage, how much, how much you can per mile, a gallon, you know, performance, it has great performance that's the kind of gospel we have to give people. We can't dumb it down. It has to go out in its pure form. It has to be hot gospel, hot gospel. So the first thing we've seen tonight is that we have a God that has called us to sing the good news of our King. Secondly, we declare the good news to a world filled with idols. Look with me, verse, verse 3 and six, uh, through 6. Declare his glory among the nations his marvelous works among all the peoples for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised for he is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples are, are worthless idols but the Lord made the heavens and earth splendor and majesty are before him strength and beauty are in his sanctuary what are idols what are idols well here's here's a definition they are images made by human hands. You know, the, those are the idols that we think of, like the Roman idols, the Greek idols, um, uh, the, the, the Egypt, Egyptian idols. And I, I said this, this very message one time and read this and somebody asked me later on, there are not any real idols left in this world. Yes, they are. Where do you think we find the real idols? The real idols are in a place called India. Do you realize as we sit today that India has surpassed China as the most populous country in the world? 1.4 billion Hindus. And India has more than Hindus. It has a lot of Muslims too. But 1.4 billion Hindus worship idols. There's still idol worships, heat here, but the majority of people are the second type of idol I'm going to talk about. Today's other idols. An idol is a thing or person that you will hope will give your life meaning, purpose, acceptance, approval, or satisfaction. This idol is the center of your life. A god, uh, a god is is something or someone. You live for. But this is false hope. False hopes deceive you. Good things like intelligence, culture, family, material things, even friends, can be made gods by us. Things that are valued gifts from God, but are worthless as false gods. Are worthless as false god. You know, if you're a Presbyterian... If you want people to really listen, even wake up on the back row, mention John Calvin. And suddenly the people that have been asleep perk up. And so I'll mention him tonight a quote by him that really shows that he knew his times and knew our times, even though he lived 500 years ago. John Calvin said this that our hearts are idle factories. Producing false idols for us to believe and worship. That's sort of sobering. But that's the world we live in. There are people that still worship statues, but there are people all over the world that worship their hearts. Gods they make up. Whether it be, I, knew, I know people who the gods were automobiles, golf any kind of sport, just name the sport, just put that in the middle of there. I know people who, you know, their families, their family reputations uh, were idols. I knew all this stuff, but they were idols of the hearts. And they were just as deadly as the idol that's worshipped. That's a statue, just as deadly. So we have both idols that are worshipped. And as the Lord says, these are worthless idols. And what are we to do? We're to declare the kingship of Lord Jesus over the idols of the world. We're to declare that. We tell of his works to the nations. Again, we call and hand the missions go out to the world because our God is not an idol. He's an active, living God that we should hold up every chance we have you know we you know our god is a god of beauty my first year at penn state uh, we had some chinese astronomers in our group and they delighted calling me up at 1 a.m in the morning it's not you know for a while i thought this is not a young man's this is not an old man's thing here And they would call me up and said, "Uh, we have the telescopes tonight. You want to come look at some galaxies? Can't turn that down. So I'd go up there and and I would describe them what I was saying. I said, I see the beauty of God in all this creation. And after a while, they would ask me, it sounds like you believe that. I do. And and before before the end, several of them were agreeing with me that maybe God did make this. It's so complicated. But this beauty we need to describe to the world, this beauty that God has made, because we have a God that's reasonable. Now, we are called to declare the good news to a world that is in darkness— Uh, We need to to show the world the claims and the work of Jesus in your life. We're to declare that. And let me get back to my illustration about symphony. You know, um, I won't see a show of hands, but, uh, you know, I tried. When I was a youth director, one of the prerequisites for a youth director is that you had to play a guitar. It was a long time ago. And uh, so... I I talked to a friend of mine that was excellent on the guitar, and he said, well, buy a guitar and come see me, and I'll teach you how to play it. After about three months, he looked at me and said, you are hopeless. (laughs) And I said, why? He said, you have what I call biblical hands. The left doesn't know what the right is doing. But yet the symphony that I asked you to join, the symphony that I want you to be with, the choir I want you to be with, does not require instruments? But guess what? We are the instruments. If you let me um, uh, borrow a, 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 a phrase from a book, we're the instruments in the Redeemer's hands. We are the instruments that God is playing to the world. We're a symphony, a chorus to the world for the gospel. And guess what? Everybody needs to join. Uh, One of the first times we came here uh, for Missions Week, uh, we stayed with uh, Mrs. Rogers. Some of y'all probably remember her. And my wife and I stayed with her. Uh, She's gone on to be with the Lord now. And on Saturday, she said, you have nothing to do right now. Let me take you down to listen to the symphony orchestra. Because the, the symphony orchestra here in in Leinster will open up the first hour of their practice The people to come in and see. And we did. It was great. And we saw an argument between a, a trumpet player and the maestro. And it was great seeing that. And I told my people later on what I saw that it were, and that were, the that were the orchestra members at Penn State and said, so, oh, that goes all the time. All the time. We argue with the maestro, but not for long. And because, you know, we're here to play these instruments and we need to learn what he wants us to play. God, that's, that's what we are. We're a church in the Redeemer's hand, guys. And we go along with his plan. And his plan is to reach the world for Jesus, to reach your friends for Jesus, to reach your workmates for Jesus, to do all that. So what we've seen is that we're seeing the good news for our King. We declare the world, the, the, the world, the good news that's filled with idols. And lastly, we're to point the world to the true God, to Jesus, our King, the one that we truly can worship. Look with me in verse 7 and following. Ascribe to the Lord all families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. We are to worship the Lord. Do you know by being here tonight that you are witness to the gospel? But we also worship because he is our king. Look at verse 10 and following. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord for he comes for he comes to judge the earth he will judge the earth and righteousness and peoples and his faithfulness you know we're, we're here to worship our king our king and you know who really gets the worship of king the sovereign are the Muslims they understand better than we do because They believe, like we do Presbyterians, they believe in predestination. Not quite the same, but close enough. Let me tell you a story about a boy who was eight years old. He grew up in Istanbul, Turkey. And his parents were worried about him because he was never interested in Muslim things. And he found the Bible one day. And he became a Christian through that Bible. Later on, when he turned 18, his parents who had money asked him, "Where do you want to go anywhere in the world to school?" And he said, "I want to go to South Korea." Turkey and South Korea sort of don't match, you know. And he had gotten a pamphlet, a pamphlet from a university in South Korea, a Christian university, that he wanted to go to, and that was a Presbyterian. University. Because you didn't know this. That there are more Presbyterian Koreans than there are American Koreans. American people, American Presbyterians. You know? And so he went to South Korea, finished his degree, got an MDiv, came back to Istanbul, and wanted to plant a church. And in Istanbul, when you want to plant a church, you had to go see the Secretary of State. And he did, and he walked in and gave uh, the secretary, ser, secretary of state said, "What do you believe?" And he handed them the Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith. And that night, the minister went home and read it. He came back the next day. He said, "He said, uh, son, I'm going to let you plant your church because you believe the same things the Muslims believe. We believe Presbyterian, and you do too." So he's able to, for the first time in 40 years, establish a Christian church in Istanbul, Turkey. After a while, he realized he needed help. So he, he got on the airplane and flew to Atlanta because he'd read about this Presbyterian denomination called PCA. He got in his, his taxi and drove to the PCA headquarters. I know this because a friend of mine saw it happen he walked through the front door and says, my name is Turgay. I am from Turkey. I want to plant churches in Turkey. Uh, can you help me? They thought he was a loon. And they looked him up and found out he was real. And they started, and in the next, within the next five years, there was a church planting network in Turkey because he understood that we have a sovereign God. And he used that to plant that church in Istanbul. You know, we have we know that we have a sovereign God, that he is worth our praise and our worship. But he is also going to be our judge. He's going to judge the world. One of the things I love from the line in the witch in the wardrobe, I believe Lucy is asking, I might don't you purist out there, don't get on me about not getting this right, okay? I guess Lucy was asking one of the animals about Aslan, what kind of lion he was. And the animal turned to her and said this. She said, well, Aslan isn't a safe lion. Of course, Aslan is the the Christ figure in those books. But do y'all know the answer? He is a good lion. He's not safe, but he's good. And that's the kind of Savior we have. We don't worry about judgment because we have the righteousness of Christ in our lives. Even though he'll come back and judge, it will not only be a glorious return for us as believers. I have a friend of mine who, who often quotes this quote and he, um, uh, and, and in this context, you know, we have a king that we need to serve. You know, we, Americans, we just don't have this sense of kingship. It's hard for us. We don't have, I, I, back in January, I went over to London, was there 10 days with my wife. And they really believe in kings and queens. They believe that stuff. But we just don't have that here. We think we have to elect people and do stuff like that. But Jesus is our King and he is the one we need to serve because in the words of that famous theologian, Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Now we are called to this world to worship the Lord because there is no other. All the other idols are dead. Even the ones we create in our own hearts. They're dead idols. We're here to worship him. Lord of the universe. Now how do I apply all this? Let me bring this home here. Um, We cannot and we must not ever keep the message of this gospel. The symphony orchestra has to go on the road. It has to be out there at your workplace, at your school, at wherever you find yourself. You are there. You are the instrument that God has called to be in that place at this time in history. You know, I would never have come to Penn State if I didn't believe God was calling me here. Because I, you know, frankly, I made a statement 10 years before that I would never live up north. And look where I am now. And my wife wants to stay until we retire. So know that God is calling you to keep it take it out these walls. Secondly, we should be revealers of false idols of the heart. You know, I, I can I deal with the Hindus and I have to, you know, go through the fact that what they worship is not real is a manufactured idol of a man's hand. But, but the hard, another hard part is working with the idols of the heart. You pray for these people and you do the best thing you can to show them that these idols are not worth it. Whatever idols they'll be. We need to be revealers of the idols. Thirdly, Present a true savior to those who come worship. When you bring somebody here to worship, you know, help them understand what's going on. You know, I do that with internationals. I sit beside them and I say, this is why we do this and this is how we do this. And, but always remember to take them to the gospel. Always remember to help them as they try to decipher what we do. Because you gotta remember, people that have never been to church, What we do is strange. But after a while, when God's spirit works on their lives, it is no longer strange. It is life-giving. And finally, join the chorus and the symphony of the gospel. You don't have to play instrument. Thank God for that. But you are the instrument. So play your lives out there in the world the sake of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that's before us. We thank you that you have changed our lives, that we can go and go anywhere in this world and be your instruments to show the redemption that you're bringing to the world in our own lives. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen.